this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 72, and we're recording on Thursday, September 25th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. Hello. I am sick, man. I'm sorry. This blows. And it's raining. I know. <laughs> Everything uh, is the worst on Thursday. Now is the mucus of our discontent. <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, well, it's not winter yet, so I can't use that. That's true. That's true. Um, so anyway, I I did have a nice gravelly um, basso profundo right now, so that's nice. Yeah, it's a soothing. It's a soothing podcast day. I'll try <laughs> not to be too down. shrill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it feels like it should be. I, I always try to. I always am trying to fight like an NPR voice, like doing oh. like an Alec Baldwin on SNL thing, because <laughs> it's so tempting, you know, with these big mics and you know, it's like you doing doing a doing an NPR sotto voce, but um, <laughs> I'd have to turn harder. the lights up for that. Yeah, I, I know. Welcome. Have you seen the, do you watch Parks and Rec? Yeah. I love their public radio satire spots on yes. that with the guy that does voices for The Simpsons. They I, they bust me up every time. Anyway, <laughs> that's the cold medicine talking, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome <laughs> to the show. Rebecca's on the vacation. Uh, and I hope you heard last week we did a special episode um, that was basically episode zero of a new podcast series I'm hosting called the, it's actually not called the reading life. It's called reading lives and it's interviews with interesting people about their lives and books. Um, and I had done a Guinea pig episode with Rebecca where I basically strong armed her into practicing before I did some real recording. Well, recording with, with people I don't know. And, uh, we made that episode 71 and that was last week, and it was a lot of fun. And the, the feed for Reading Lives is available now. The first guest was Clive Thompson, author of Smarter Than You Think. Um, and if you go to bookriot.com slash readinglives, you can subscribe, and you can find it in iTunes and your podcatcher of choice. But uh, looking forward to that. I'm recording a bunch of, um, like, three in the next five days. And it's a new one will be out by the time this podcast is available, and it will be with Meg Medina. Awesome sauce. Um, a writer, rock star. Recently named CNN, recently one and named her one of their 10 visionary women, writes, she's a Latina, writes young adult for well, a variety of different kinds of um, kids, but uh, looking forward to that. Got Chuck Wendig coming up, got some other, already recorded with Chuck, uh, a lot of bleeping, oh, uh, yeah, as you might expect. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, take, a, take a listen to that when you get a chance. Um, all right. So I guess let's start out with the bad news. Mm-hmm. Should we start with bad news? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Actually, before we do that, let's do the sponsor because I don't like to follow the sponsor. Like, do the bad news and then do it. <laughs> what I like to do is not tell you bad news sad. is coming and then give you the. It's not really sad. That's right. It's it's uh, it's publishing diversity stuff. Uh, our first sponsor this week is Random House Audiobooks. Go to tryaudiobooks.com to find an audiobook that's great for you. So, what they've got there, it's really great, is if you've got, you know, I've talked a million times about how. You can use audiobooks to do a variety of different things. We actually had a friend over last night who uh, does a lot of traveling in his job. He goes from place to place in northeastern Kansas, and he spends like three hours a day in a car. Jeez. And I was telling him, Scott, you've got to do audiobooks. You're just, you're just wasting 
all that valuable listening time. So what tryaudiobooks.com, you can tell them what you're going to do. Like if you're going on a road trip, you're doing some gardening, doing some knitting, doing some other things, and they'll they'll suggest some books that were good for those particular activities. So if you uh, have a, a good car trip coming up for the fall, going apple picking somewhere, or, you know, it is wintertime, so there's a lot of sitting around. Do people knit more in the fall? Amanda, yes, it feels yes. like it's a much more, this is the prime knitting season. Yes, because you don't um, want to go outside and you need a scarf. Need a scarf. Uh, playing video games, watching sports, all those sorts of things. Go to tryaudiobooks.com and uh, see if you can find an audiobook that's right for you. So our the story here is um, Publishers Weekly does a annual um, salary and diversity study in the publishing industry. Publishing in, Publishers Weekly is basically the big industry magazine and website for the industry. And last week they sur- they released the results of their survey, um, and the survey was sent to nearly seventy five hundred publisher weekly Publishers Weekly subscribers who work at publishing houses. About 800 responded. Um, 61% of respondents, including 60% of those who identified as white, said that there is little diversity in publishing, while 28% were ambivalent. Mm-hmm. Only 11% think they, they said they think diversity is not an issue. I start with that because then once you hear the numbers, yeah. you're going to be like, what? what are those 11% thinking? Yeah. Um, let's see. So 1%, one, 1% of publishing professionals are... African American. Sad trombone. Eighty nine percent are white. Um, so that's, I guess that's. The, <laughs> well, what do you think? Is the, is that the lead statistic for you? Because the other one that struck me is the pay differential between yeah, men and women. The pay gap is yes, they're equally <laughs> for so me. The, aver- the average compensation for men in twenty thirteen was eighty five k. That's pretty good work if you can get it. Yeah. Um, the same as in twenty twelve. It turns out flat. Um, the average compensation for women was sixty thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars, which was up from fifty six thousand the year before. So a twenty five k pay gap. Yeah. So depending on how you calculate that, twenty five percent of sixty thousand. So if you're a dude, you get paid forty one percent more on average. And seventy four percent of the publishing workforce is women. So there's more of you, yeah. and you get paid less. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, we talk about diversity and um, lack thereof on the show a lot, and I was trying to think about this and try to put this in context some way. I mean, there's no like, there's no one lever in American life you can pull on to fix diversity problems, right? Like, right. it's not like if only this were better. Um, but I wonder if if this isn't ground zero for the publishing industry's lack of diversity in terms of the books that books. we see yeah. and the kinds of reviews that get written and who gets reviewed and, and why. It's actually surprising that as many books by non-white people get published at all when you think about it in this degree. Because are, are more than 1% of books published by Big Five publishing houses by black people? I wonder. More, oh, I don't – I mm. – Oh, gosh. I don't know. I will say that yesterday, as we've been trying, as I've been trying personally to read more diversely, I went to my giant shelf of, like, I have a bookshelf of ARCs that publishers have sent me to find something written by someone uh-huh. who is black. And I had to go to March of 2015. Wow. So, so just, about like, how many I'm not books being, did you... I'm not right? even being sent Right. Like, stuff. If, yeah. 
about how many books did, does that entail? I mean, just guesstimate. Like, how many books did you have to sort of run your eyes over before you got to that? Two shelves. So that's what about uh, probably fifty books. Yeah, total. Yeah. So that so I mean now we're really this is don't take this to methodology corner. No, but, totally not. Yeah, like this is anecdotal. If, if it's times fifty and it takes and there's one out of fifty, that's uh, you know two percent. So and I ended double. up just picking up Frederick Douglass's narrative of the life of a slave. Cause, yeah. Like <laughs> really? <Right. laughs> yeah. Have you read that before? Had you read that before? No. Oh yeah, it's really in, it's it's a fascinating book. Anyway, um, so. I, I mean, what do you want to say? I, I don't know. I, I, I would never deign in this situation to say, I know how to fix this. Um, but I think it is worth saying out loud that, like, it's at all levels of the publishing industry. Like, it's – and I, I would imagine, too, if you see a stat like this, and if you're a black person or a person of color uh, of any sort of background, like, it's an uphill battle to get into this industry, I mm-hmm. would think. Um, and – I think I think that's just one of the hard things that you're not that you don't see people like I, I put out a call um, last week on Twitter just asking does anyone know of a black literary agent because I'm looking for um, guests for the podcast the Reading Lives podcast and mm-hmm. I was like that would be an interesting you know is there are there people out there I have a big list of people and I'm trying to have a diverse list of um, guests and I had a bunch of publishing industry people that I was interested in but I looked at the their makeup and it was um, mostly white folks and I was like is there, are there you know diver, are there multi ethnic multiracial people I can have on the show and it was super hard to find mm-hmm. um, and I don't know you know you can there's it's turtles all the way down it's turtles <laughs> all the way down to not as many people apply and not as many people go to college and yeah, those know, backgrounds so it's just very difficult to know I was thinking about um, there was that unpaid internship kind of dust up a few years yes. ago I don't know if you remember that um, and I've been thinking about wondering what that has to do with these numbers because you know getting an unpaid internship is kind of your foot in the door in so many industries including publishing but you can only afford to work an unpaid internship if your family can support you or if your family is in like the economic position you know to be able to afford that and I think most of the people who get unpaid internships are white just because of the you know economic inequality and so I'm wondering how much that has to do with this that's an excellent point I don't know much about the the role of internships in the publishing industry I'm assuming like many big industries there are a lot of unpaid unpaid internships you know sometimes they're over summers Mm -hmm. um, during the semester um, and the the economic statistics show us that if you're not white, you more likely have to work a job um, that pays in those times. Yeah. So you know maybe you're not getting your foot in the door that way. So that maybe maybe that would be one small step that a publishing house could take is to have paid internships, um, so that you you know or or maybe just make those internships like you know we want. I don't, you know, quota, people will call a dirty word. I, I don't think of it that way. Um, but make sure you have some diverse folks in those internship programs at the very beginning. And over time, maybe some of them will trickle stick up. Stick around, I don't know yeah. if that's a, I don't the physics doesn't really work that way. But, <laughs> um, that will stick around and be part of the industry as well. So let's see. Um, the overall pay increase for members of the publishing industry in 2013 was 2.8%. So people are getting raises that are beating inflation there. Um, they work 47 hours per week. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't have, I don't have other industries to compare it to. Um, let's see. On the whole, 
Um, 26% of the respondents reported being at least somewhat insecure about their jobs, up from 24% the prior year. Um, 85% reported being somewhat satisfied in their current positions. So, yeah, it's a field of, you know. Malcontents? Well, <laughs> no, you said the opposite of what I said. You said malcontents and I said love. Like, oh, love, like right, yeah. 85% are happy with it because I feel like publishing is a thing you get into because you are yeah. into it, you know. Um, the, the last stat I th- thought was the, besides the diversity stuff, this other stat I thought was interesting too is 54% of respondents report they are very confident or extremely confident in the industry's future. Hmm. So that's more than half. Um, the most upbeat groups were management and sales and marketing. Of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. The least bullish group was editorial employees. Oh, we're such a sad We are, we are sad sacks. Um, which those, all those numbers are up, or in a good way. The positivity trend is up from the last couple of years too. So um, that's super interesting stuff there. And again, if just to take the whole thing to methodology corner for a minute, these were sent to publishers weekly subscribers. So there's some bias in that group and it's self-reporting. So I don't know, probably if you are, I wonder if people are, are satisfied people, I don't know, are, are people happy with whatever the, the topic of the survey more likely to respond? Do you know what I mean? Like if I'm sending a survey just out of the blue about um, Doritos Oh, yeah. And I like Doritos. Am I more likely to respond to the survey? I would guess yes, right? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, well, you know what? I need to find I don't respond to surveys of anything. So. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, so I'm just wondering what kind of biases are, are. Is there a bias in self-reporting that these people are going to be more positive on the whole? Well, wouldn't others? it also be true the other way around? Like if you've got stuff you want to get off your chest, now's the time, you know, in a survey. Maybe. Or maybe if you're super unhappy in your job, are you really subscribing to the industry rag? Because you've got a foot. I don't know. I, there's a lot of different ways. <laughs> we but have questions. All, all I'm saying is that it's not a, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a, um, a stand in for the whole uh, sort of uh, group of publishing industry employees. So there's that. Let's see. What are we going to next? All right. The other, I don't know if this, is this big news? What do you think it's about this next It's weird. Story? I don't know. Hmm. Um. I think it's worth a mention because it's so WTF. Yeah, it's it's strange. So uh, this is a, a story that broke this week about Amazon getting into sort of a quasi-crowdsourcing game where um, authors can submit complete, never-before-published books, and Amazon will publish the first few pages of the book, and then readers can preview them and nominate their favorites, and then there'll sort of be kind of a, a contest of some kind for a book deal. So uh. they're going to use readers to, you know, decide what should get published and what should get a book deal behind it, and then Amazon to put their marketing dollars behind it. Um, this is going to get gamed so hard. Well, that's a that's that's kind of what I was thinking. It could be just the number of people you get to vote for your own thing. Um, Again, the prize isn't huge. You get a $5,000 advance, excuse me, a guaranteed $1,500 advance and 50% royalties on net ebook revenue, but you retain your print rights. Amazon doesn't even want your print rights, which I thought was interesting, <laughs> but they want the audiobook um, and ebook rights. So I, Wattpad is doing some things like this. Um, we've talked about uh, a sponsor, the sponsor of the show, Swoon Reads, has done this for romance um, and 
uh, YA romance of people submitting their stories and having other users of the site read it and rate it. And then those sites have, you know, pushed those things that get the highest ratings and the most reads to the top. Um, this isn't genre constrained, which I think is interesting because oh. genre tends to do the best for self-publishing on Amazon. I have to admit, I'm not super excited about this. What do you think? I don't know. No. Yeah, why not? Just no. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, like, with Swoon Reads, that's a that's a thing that the romance community can get behind. You know, it's, it's a community-specific, but Amazon is such a big beast, and it's so easy to, if you have a big social media following, to game something like this, that it's just going to be, like, person with the loudest voice wins. Yeah. Which is also kind of how American Idol works, but in a different way. Yeah, I guess that's true, <clears throat> though that the scale of that is so big, like you can't really have enough friends to game American Idol, I don't think. Right? No, no, but I was no, I was making a voice pun. Oh, oh like I a guess. literal big voice. See, that's what Dave, Get Dave with Quill, it, Jeff. I'm not on my game. I'm so sorry. I'm like a dull razor blade. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't I don't see this being a success. I certainly I guess are there I guess there must be people interested out there in reading sort of unsolicited slush pile. Essentially, that's what this is, yeah. manuscripts, which is, Rebecca and I have talked about the show. That's just not what we're interested in doing. There's there's so much other stuff out there to read. Um, but I guess it makes sense for Amazon to try it, to see if they can use the user base they have to identify some possibly under-the-radar titles and authors um, and see if they can get some more out of them. All right, well, I don't know. We're not, we're not excited about that. No, we're not excited I'm, I'm skeptical. That. Um, let's do something I am excited about. So La, Ca La Casa Azul, which is a bookstore in East Harlem. I th my Spanish is um, embarrassing, but I think it means Blue House Books. It's a bookstore in, uh, here in New York City. Um, that is what it means. Yeah. Um, they, are, they are donating a whole bunch of children's books to unaccompanied child migrants in South America, Central and South America. Um, by the end of 2014, it's estimated there'll be some 90,000 unaccompanied child migrants um, expected to make their way into the United States. Uh, and so the owner of La Casa Azul, um, let's see if I can find her name, oh boy, Aurora Anya Cerda, mm -hmm. um, started thinking about how she could help uh, especially in a city so far from the border, it's hard to do direct action when you're you know, 2,000 miles away. So she found somebody at John Jay College here in New York City that studies criminal justice and studied child immigrants living in New York and said, what can we do? Well, one thing they have is like if you're an unaccompanied child migrant, you don't have a lot of things to call your own. Right. Um, and so she said, you know what we have is a community around books and we have books in relationship with publishers. And we can maybe collect some books to give and put the kid's name in the book and give it to that kid, and that's their book. It's not shared. It's not borrowed. It's not something they have to give away or give back. Um, but they've all – so to this point, they've uh, raised enough money to donate um, and give 1,500 books to child migrants. And I thought this was awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say about it except that it's awesome. Good job. This so is the thing that I had never – thought of no like it, absolutely not yeah i had never um given any brain space to unaccompanied minor children crossing the border like oh gosh how terrifying that must be oh, and then you get imagine. caught yes, <laughs> and you have right. nothing yeah so their goal was to raise twenty five hundred dollars and they raised three thousand um and i'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in donating or finding out more about the program um but that's that's our hero of the week la casa yeah 
Casa Azul and um, their program to give books to unaccompanied child migrants. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Where do you want to go? You want to pick the next story? Uh, let's do the Bechdel. Yeah. Is that how you say your name, by the way? Do you know? I think so. Oh, gosh. No, see, I get so concerned yeah, about I, saying I, people's names wrong. Do you wrong see, do you see the trick me. I pulled on you? The day Ugh. people can't sharp, dull, sharpen this, whatever I am. Um, I think it's Bech, It's Bechdel. Bechdel. I always say Bechdel because oh. I don't, but I don't know. But in We'll call I, her Allison. Allison Bechdel, Bechdel. Someone who knows, please write me an email. Yes, uh, please. Podcast at bookwork.com. <laughs> um, one, a MacArthur quote-unquote genius grant Yeah. this year. One of the 21 recipients. I think this is awesome. Uh, I also think it's really – so she is a um, – a uh, graphic novel. Well, I guess she hasn't written a graphic novel. She's a car- uh, comic artist, I guess. Graphic is what we memoirist? Say yeah, right. So her most famous book is Fun Home, which is a graphic memoir um, about her life um, and her coming out story as a lesbian and um, growing up with a closeted gay father. Um, we've talked about this before on the show where Fun Home was – I think on a suggested reading list at the College of Charleston, and then they tried to get the funding pulled, and it was a whole big thing. And um, Bechdel went down there, and you know, you know, had an event, and kind of rubbed it in their face a little bit, which I thought wasn't sweet winner's move on her <laughs> part. Um, but she won one of these MacArthur Genius Grants. It's it's a five hundred. No, actually, it's more. It's up to six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars over a five-year period. It doesn't have any earmarks. You don't have to produce anything. You don't have to do anything. The idea behind them, I guess, is just to find awesome people doing awesome things, give them money, and hope that that means they can even do more of the awesome things that they are doing. Um, I think, I think it's an almost an obvious pick for me um, in looking at. If you had asked me, um, I think I've done this one. Maybe Greg for the site, we'd done this once before. Pick authors awesome. or literary people uh, that we think should win um, MacArthur Genius Awards. And if you'd asked me to do a list of 10 or 20 that I think should have, I think she would have been on my list. If I, and if I hadn't thought of her, I would, be, I would have kicked myself when someone said, hey, what about her? I would have yes, number one on my list. She does edgy stuff. It's important work. It's fun. It's interesting. And it's moving. Um, if you are into graphic novels um, at all and haven't read Fun Home, then you should. I haven't. Have you read it? I haven't read it. No, I haven't read any of this. Yeah, and you're getting into comics. I am. You're not not into comics, I would say. Do you think you're, are you past getting into comics? Are you into comics? I don't know. I still haven't read Batman, so I feel like maybe no. Oh, is that, is that, is that the, that's the the Rubicon? Yeah. The comic book reader's Rubicon? Yeah. Um, But she is really fascinating. Also, probably, her name is probably best well known on the internet, at least, for the Bechdel test. Yes. Which is this, I guess... Basically, a uh, uh, hermeneutic she came up with to decide, you know, to, 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 I don't know what you're doing, decide if something is. To kind of like parse the level of uh, yeah. misogyny I, it's almost. Misogyny, I guess. Yeah, because it's not perfect. Possi- yeah, it's just kind of a, a quick check. Is Does a work of art have female characters that talk to each other about. Things that are not dudes, right? Yeah, named right. female characters. Named female. Oh, I, you know, I always forget that piece. Yeah. Characters with names that talk to each other about topics other than just male characters. Um, which has, there's been a lot of, we've talked about it before on the show and the problems with it and, you know, the limitations thereof. Mm-hmm. But 
for something that short that you can describe in a sentence, it's actually a pretty elegant test. It is very, yeah. Um, and it's amazing. Well, I don't know if it's amazing. Um, it's disheartening. <laughs> disheartening things can still not be amazing. How many things don't pass the test? Um, you know, most, <laughs> let's see, Star Wars, I don't think passes it. Lord of the Rings doesn't. Lord of the Rings doesn't pass it. You know, big, huge, I don't know that, I think Narnia might pass it because the sisters talk to each other. Um, well, yeah, Lucy talks to the witch. The witch, right. right. So. Um, but, you know, or movies, it, and it applies to a whole lot movies, books, comic books, TV shows, um, Congress, you know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever, uh, whatever you want to apply it to. It's Again, it's not perfect, and it's not sort of a, I don't think of it as a binary, like, yes, this thing is misogynist and this thing isn't, because you can have a, a book, certainly, with two female characters that talk to each other about um, something as a dude and still have be a hugely problematic test, but it's a way of seeing the world anew. Yeah, it's very eye-opening. That when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, that is so, that's such a brilliant stroke of insight to mm-hmm. just think about, gives a, to think about these things in a different way. <laughs> she deserves the grant just for that. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, yeah. in a way, I was thinking about, like, I mean, how many people really get me to see the world in a, in a different way that quickly? Um, the, the, the list is short. So congratulations to her. I, I mm-hmm. think that's a, a, a well-earned um, award. And the best news, I think, is that her next book is coming out in 2017. That was sort of in this wave of publicity around the MacArthur Genius Grant. It came out. It's called um, The Secret to Sh- Superhuman Strength. It's also a, a graphic memoir. And it's about her decades-long obsession with various fitness and exercise fads. I am so excited about this, especially yes. the home workout videos chapter. I really, really want to read that. <laughs> um, and in the t- this is a, there's an article in the Times I'll link to, and there's a, a panel from um, <laughs> that. It's her sort of doing some sort of, uh, I yoga. guess, yoga pose, mm-hmm. I suppose. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that if you showed me a group of people doing Pilates and a group of people doing yoga, I could tell you which is which, but this is some sort of fitness bendy. It's yoga. Pilates thing. is mostly on the ground. But she, she's not on the ground here? No, her that butt's not on the, on the ground. Pilates is like butt on ground. Oh, or on the really? ball. Yeah, mostly. You don't do a lot of standing up stuff. Okay. Well, you know what? I learned something today. This is yoga. I've taken yoga for many moons. This is yoga. This okay. is yoga. <laughs> okay. No, no. I, I totally believe you. I just didn't know that the relative position of the derriere was to determine. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a hard and fast rule, but in the Pilates classes I have taken, they've all been butt on floor. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so that's a, that's, a, a, that's a great bit of news um, this week. Uh, let's see. Go read Fun Home. Yeah, I yeah, will. N- not just you, but just all, all those other people. People in general. There. People in general out there. Um, let's see. Let's do, let, let's talk about new Kindles for a minute. Okay. Uh, this is interesting, I think. Um, Amazon last week announced a new, basically a refresh to their whole e-reader tablet line. Um, new Fire tablets. I don't really care about that. Um, Two things I thought were interesting here. One is that their a new hot their new top of the line e ink Kindle is going to be called the Voyager, um, and it's going to have a three hundred DPI screen. So that's ultra high resolution, um, way higher than the the current Kindle Paperwhite. Um, so that's that's interesting as well, especially as most tablets, color tablets, um, have ultra high resolution screens. The e-ink screens haven't been as high resolution recently. So that's coming out. The other thing that's interesting here is there's a new tablet for kids. 
That's cool. Called the Fire for Kids. As a rubber case, and it comes with a year-long subscription to free time, so a service that locks down the Kindle for kids and allows them to view video games and apps and books without buying things. Um, it's $149 for a 6-inch model and $189 for a 7-inch model. And it, the, here's the, 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 the winner deal here, a two-year warranty. They can return it for any reason during that time and get a new one. So if it gets dropped, <laughs> smashed. They don't know what they're asking for, yeah, I don't think. If it, gets, if it gets submerged in a hot dog slurry. <laughs> or you know, the whatever, toilet, which is what likely. It, yes, the tub, um, paint, uh, run over it, you can get it back. Um, I, that seems really awesome to me. That's yeah. smart. Okay. Yeah? No? You don't yeah. like well, the Kindle no, for the Kindle I think for it's kids? cool. I can just feel the like the internet being upset about putting screens in children's faces. Oh, right. You know, like that. I guess we are worried about that, aren't we? Uh, I don't collectively, know. <laughs> collectively? Collectively? I mean, that? I'm not. Whatever. Mm. Okay. Um, let's see. The Voyager, that's the new thin and light ink device with the high DPI screen. It's $199. Um, there's two, the new Voyager has two buttons on either side that vibrate when pressed to simulate a physical button tap. So you can just turn the page by hitting the side of the screen, like you know, the, the bezel, that, um, that bit of plastic that goes all the way around the screen. So you don't have to it. touch the screen. You don't have to touch the screen. Oh, so you can cool. kind of just like tap your thumb. Um, and so depending on which side you tap, it'll go backwards or forward, which sounds pretty cool. Um, all new integrated Goodread services... Okay. Um, yeah. So that's new, new. WordWise feature adds definitions of difficult words to books. What? Like in the text? I don't know. Maybe if you tap it. I doesn't seen it already do action. that? I thought it did. The Nook uh, does that. I, like, yeah, I read on. Um, I read in iBooks mostly on my iPad, so I that does it for sure. I don't know what the status of uh, dictionary functionality in the Kindle is, but apparently that has something to do as well. $149 for a six-inch model. I guess that's a pretty good price. And that's where I go, no. Like, I'm cool with my kid having their own screen. I, I, I don't have concern about that, but I'm not paying $150 for yeah, my kid to have a toy. Yeah, like, for a toy. Not going to happen. Yeah, I guess that's a little high. Um, two years where they can smash it. That's, I don't know. I wonder if it's waterproof. Mm. It doesn't say. It probably isn't. It would say if it were. Because the new that new Kobo, the Kobo yeah, it's waterproof. Aura H two O is waterproof. Um, anyway, so new Kindles for the holiday season, shipping in October. So if you've got someone in your life um, that might be you, even <laughs> that's in the market for a new e reader, do that. I, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, the new iPhones came out, and a lot of people have them. And there's the new five and a half inch screen. Mm-hmm. And do you do reading on your phone at all? Are That's wanted, pretty much the only way, the yeah, only reading I, I do. Yeah, I do now. a lot of, on my phone. I know Shinsky does. Clint, who we work with as well, does a lot of reading on our phone. I wonder what the future of of just dedicated e-readers really is. Like, are we going to be using e-readers or is that just a transitional sort of piece of technology that eventually we're just all going to be doing our, our digital reading on our phones? I'm, I'm not I, sure. Th- well, either phones or tablets, yeah, I don't but if use I have a my five Nook and a half inch phone. I'm not gonna have a. I'm not gonna use a tablet anymore because oh, like, yeah. it's almost the size of a mass market paperback. The screen it's almost the size of a page. I'm just curious to see if Amazon doesn't tell us how well or badly these things sell. But I'd be curious to see Kindle sales over time. If the, I would expect, I think, to see them slowing 
as people have better and better and bigger and bigger and higher resolution phones that can do everything really an e-reader can do. Um, again, it won't be as large as a seven inch screen, but it's getting, you know, the new iPhones, the smallest one is 4.7 inches. And I find reading on my phone that's, you know, I have an iPhone five, which I think is four inches, four inch screen. Pretty good. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. I, I do feel like I'm swiping, changing the page a lot, but yes. yeah, that's a, that's a minor. Concern. Well, I also wonder, you know, I tried uh, Marvel Unlimited and Comixology uh, both on my phone and it's awful. It is awful. The screen that's is so an small. excellent point. Yeah. And so I'm, I wonder what that, like what comics will have, if, yeah. if at all, if there'll be any effect of the bigger yeah, because I, I almost I, bought a tablet like just for the express yeah. purpose of having comicsology, which is dumb. But yeah, I have an iPad Mini, um, and I do read comics on there, and even that's a little tight. You can do it, but like the the best for me, the best digital comics reading. Actually, I'll throw it, the best comics reading experience is on the full size iPad, the iPad Air. Comics on that is a is a dream. It's great. More than so, like. The, the book, like the, I think like so. holding it? For okay. me, I think yeah. so. Um, you can read it in the dark and the colors just pop off the page and it just looks wonderful. Um, some of it too. And, you know, and I haven't done as much, but though honestly, I haven't done as much Comixology since Amazon bought them and took out the in-app purchases from Comixology because then you got to go to the website and blah, 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 and the whole thing's a disaster. I went down this mental rabbit hole of there are there are more comic shops in Richmond where I lived than there are independent bookstores. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, How many? I, like I, I didn't realize it because I hadn't been in comics at all, but when I started, you know, I just Googled and they're, they're just everywhere. There's like one in every neighborhood. And so I was thinking, like, why? How was that possible? You know? Right. And I think it might be because... Nobody that I know who doesn't have a tablet really reads comics on their phones because it's an unpleasant experience. But as we as the phones get bigger, is that going to change? Mm. You know, and are more people going to switch from right. going to the shop to using an app? So I don't know. I keep my eye on it. Well, that's yeah, that's really interesting um, as well. Um, Diamond, I just looked this up while you were talking because I can't listen to people. Um, <laughs> Diamond, which is the the largest distributor of comic books, and it almost it has like my understanding is like a near monopoly, monopoly on yeah. comics distribution. Says there were two two thousand six hundred thirty eight comic shops um, mm-hmm. in the U.S. in twenty thirteen, and I let's see how many. How That's many not a lot. Two thousand bookstores in the U.S. Let's see. Let's take a look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stroke your beard. Mm. Man, this is for some reason like the ABA, the American Booksellers Association, doesn't ever really want to tell you. My uh-huh. memory is that it's around three thousand, but I could be wrong about that. I'll, I'll we'll do follow up next week. Um, maybe Richmond is just an especially especially comic heavy place. Yeah, well, we have a lot of tattooed people here, so, mm, you know. Tattooed people. They <laughs> Vagrants like, like their they comics. Like, they like illustrated things on their bodies, so they would like to read illustrated things. <laughs> That's my logical chain there. Yeah, sure, totally. Um, yeah, you're right. I wonder if, uh, you know what comicsology would be smart to do? A comicsology tablet. If they had their oh, own tablet. I would mm, buy that. That would be interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I bet. Okay. It. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe I should patent that idea. You know, so <laughs> Let's call the folks over at Comicsology. Is that how patents work? I'm not oh, sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. They'll, they'll let you use all of their stuff, <laughs> their, their uh, platform. Totally. All right, let's do our next sponsor. Squarespace is back. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it simple and easy to design beautiful, responsive websites, blogs, 
portfolios, galleries, and online stores. Go to squarespace.com, enter offer code POETRY, and you can get 10% off your order. And, and you can also do a free two-week trial. Here's what it is. Squarespace makes it e- easy to do your own website. So if you've got a new web project you want to work on and you're trying to decide, how am I going to do this? There's a lot of tools out there. What makes Squarespace nice, There's the, the three main things I like Squarespace are these. One, drag and drop interface. So you can, like you know, you go to a web page and you see how there's like different elements. There's the header and there's the sidebar and then there's the blog or a portfolio or something else. Squarespace has all of those pieces that you can use plus a bunch more. But you don't have to go into the code and sort of enter numbers about where things go. You can use their drag and drop interface and move them around, kind of like a felt board, um, where you can. What does it look like if I put the gallery up here, or if I put the contact information over here, or my Twitter feed over here? Move them around. You can see them in real time, how they work. So that's really great. Other thing that's super hard these days. I'm sitting at my desk podcasting right now, and I have our family 27-inch iMac in front of me that um, we use for our family stuff. I have my 13-inch MacBook Pro that I'm actually using to record. In my pocket, I have my iPhone, (laughs) right? And over on my nightstand, I see my iPad mini. So you've got screen sizes ranging all the way from 27 inches down to 4 inches. Um, And Squarespace is responsive templates. So you can start out of the box with one of these templates. They're all designed to be responsive, which means they look great on every screen. They rearrange automatically in a way that makes sense for the screen that someone's looking at your website on, all the way from a big full-featured browser to a mobile pocket computer, which is what we should really call our cell phones, by the way, since they're, you know, most of us use them for everything but making phone calls a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, too. The other thing that's nice about this, 24-7 live chat customer support. If you've ever tried to make anything on the internet and something goes wrong, you've probably had that experience of opening up a new tab and going into Google and typing something like, how does this thing work? Or why isn't X working? And then trying to look at a bunch of forum posts from 2009 that may Mm -hmm. no longer be appropriate. Well, with Squarespace, you don't have to do that. You can go talk to them right away. If you're working on a new project, you you know, if it's a side project, you're probably working on the middle of the night or on the weekends. It's not nine to five when customer support is open for most big companies. That's why Squarespace is open 24-7. You can find someone right then who can help you figure out what to do. So go to squarespace.com, use offer code POETRY. You can get 10% off. You can also get a free trial, two-week trial to try it out. It's a real trial where you don't have to enter your credit card and then remember to cancel it or call someone. You don't enter your credit card at all. After your two-week trial is over, that's when they ask you if you want to keep doing it. And you pay a very reasonable fee. I think if you sign up for a year, it's about 8 bucks a month. Um, and if you're going to put some time into a web project, I would say it's worth $8 a month to use a good tool that will help you do things and save yourself a bunch of time in the process. So thanks so much to Squarespace. For sponsoring the show, I think I just sold myself a new Squarespace. Right? I think I just <laughs> Let's I, scrapbook I'm, right. And start that's right. What should we start? Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm Shinsky's gonna be so mad at me. Oh no! You know why? Because no. I get to talk about Dan Brown oh, adaptation without years without her. <laughs> um, the last Dan Brown novel. Well, no, that's not true. Dan Brown's first novel is called The Digital Fortress, and I haven't read this. Have you? No. Are you a Dan Brown person? I'm fine with Dan Brown. Fine, I've read a but couple. But you're not on our, you're not, you're not, not waving the flags like we are. I'm not Shinsky and O'Neill level. Okay, all right. Dan Brown fanhood. Anyway, so uh, Digital Fortress, which was his first novel, um, let's see, it's going to be, at least a pilot is going to be shot. Um, 
And it's it, the particular, I find this stuff ab- absolutely fascinating, but it has something called a put pilot commitment, which means they've hired the production company to shoot the pilot, and either ABC has to air the pilot or they have to pay Imagine Entertainment like a huge sum of money, which yeah. I think is interesting. Um, it's I haven't read this, but I am going to read it. It was released in 1998, and it's the, the protagonist is a cryptographer named Susan Fletcher. And it's being adapted as a TV series for ABC, and uh, Ron Howard's production company is going to do the development. And Howard, as the real Dee Brizzle fans out there know, have directed the two extant um, Langdon books, Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, and he's going to be directing the uh, It's Just Inferno when it comes out, whenever that's going to come out. So excited. Also, I'm wondering, Lady, how Lady are they Computer gonna... Codebreaker. I'm excited about that. Yeah, but from 1998, so... Like, how are they going to update this? Well, I'm guessing they're just going to use the sort of general structure. Okay. She's probably not going to be using dial-up to hack into the Vatican. Right. Although whatever. I would yeah. still watch it. I would she, actually if know she what, were... As soon as that came out of my mouth, I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally watch a female cryptographer use dial-up to hack into the Vatican. That's right. For whatever, uh, anything. Their lunch anything. menu. Yeah. <laughs> I don't me. care. Um, so I'm totally excited about that. And the best thing is that it's a... If it makes it to series, I could have 22 Dan Brown adaptation experiences a year guaranteed. You guys. This is all I'm asking. This is all I've ever wanted. I need you two to have matching, like, D. Brizzle t-shirts or something. You and Shinsuke. You're assuming we don't have those already. That's true. I am assuming that. I'm going to continue to assume that for my own happiness. (laughs) Though, one, one thing gives me pause about this. Do you know what it is? No. Well, why? If it's so great, why hasn't been adapted already? Oh. That, that's what I'm worried about. Well, maybe they were just working. You know, like it takes forever to get this kind it of stuff true. moving. They were just and, working on his more modern stuff. Maybe they're looking for a a, um, a TV show with a lady <laughs> in the lead. Maybe. I think it's interesting that he he wrote this book, Digital Fortress, with cryptographer Susan Fletcher, and then abandoned her and picked up Bob Bobby Langdon. Well, I've I've. It probably didn't do very well. I hadn't heard of it. Yeah, until no, now. I mean, I'm sure that the people who have read it are only people who have gone back after the Da Vinci Code fact um, to read it. But I wonder if it had done well. Did he had a, did he have in mind like the future ongoing adventures of Sue Fletcher? I don't know. So there's there's so many questions. <laughs> if only I had a Da Vinci painting here to use, and um, Dan Brown had left me clues in it to figure if out. If only what's you had a happen. podcast where you interview <laughs> interesting know, book right. people about well, stuff. Um, the, the other announcement I have to make is that we. Shinsky and I will be hosting a 22-episode um, <laughs> deep dive into every episode of uh, Digital Fortress. You're joking, but I would not be surprised if that actually happened. Am I joking, Amanda? I don't Am know. I? I don't know. It's hard. It's too early to tell. <laughs> we'll figure out pretty soon. All right. Let's see. We've got a call. Let's do one more um, kind of methodology corners type of thing. This is a story you found. Do you want to walk me through this one? Yeah, okay. So, the, hold on, let me open the link. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. I just yeah, found yeah. it this blah, morning. Blah, 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 <laughs> I found it this morning. Um, <clears throat> so, the bookseller did a survey in the UK of 900, well, it says more than 900, but there's no particular number, 900 people between the ages of 16 to 24 asking them about their preferred reading format. So, audio or print or digital or whatever. And only 27% of the respondents said that they prefer ebooks. 73% of people in the UK between 16 and 24 said that they prefer um, print. But the reasons they gave were interesting. The main reason that these young people say they prefer print over ebooks is that they think ebooks are too expensive. 
Hmm. Not not necessarily that they, you know, prefer the smell or whatever mm-hmm. of paper pages, but but that they were not willing Just to pay more. Just straight up too much money. Too many dollars. So, and it's not that they that ebooks are actually priced higher than print. It's a, I guess they must think that the value is It's just a value. For, yeah. Right. So, this is all in pounds. So, um, bear with me here, but when it comes to paperback, 30 37% of young people said they would pay between 5 and 7 pounds and 35% said they would pay between 3 and 5 pounds. However, they are less willing to pay as much for ebooks with 43% saying they should cost less than 3 pounds and mm. 27% saying they should cost between 3 and 5 pounds. So, so if that, they cost less than what, like six dollars? Oh, don't make me do. It's like I assume it's like dico- twice. It's like twice, right? Not exactly, but uh, around. Whatever. I don't know. Let's Five or say six that bucks. It is. Let's say that it is. <laughs> okay. But if you do a relative, if you do a relative um, cost, they they want ebooks to be fifty percent cheaper essentially than paperbacks to to think of it as a good value, which I hadn't really thought about in those terms. But that sounds about right to me. Yeah. Well, just in terms of like. I'll pay, you know, for a new book, I'll happily pay, or a, a something that's out in paperback, I'll pay between 7 and $9 an ebook happily, um, and the print book is 50% more, essentially, 14 or $15. Yeah. That's kind of how they're priced now. Um, the, thing, the, the thing that's murder is when the new ebook is 15 bucks. Yeah. Um. On Amazon, and then right next to it, the hardcover is eighteen dollars. <laughs> that's murder. Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's rough for eBooks. To me, that's rough. Um, so you know, I, I guess that makes sense. You know, I. <sighs> I wonder if they if hmm. this is the same sort of if they would get the same answers from people over the age of twenty four. Probably not. Well, I mean, I. It stands to reason that they wouldn't, but maybe. I mean, I think a lot of us feel the same way that there is a value to having the print book yeah. that exceeds the ebook price. What markup that is, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you. Um, well, so. I, I have the habit of after reading an ebook, if I like it, I'll go buy it and put it on my shelves. Like I'll buy the physical book mm-hmm. for reasons I haven't really parsed. I don't know. <laughs> Is your, what does your therapist say about that? Giving you some, giving you some info about that? You have that? some materialism issues? No. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of agree with them. Like, I, I won't ever pay full price for an ebook. I'll wait until it's on sale for two ninety nine right. or whatever. Because I know that I'm going to go out and spend an additional 20 bucks. Yes, that makes sense. Um, but in, in reality as well, like, uh, an ebook is less durable in all those ways than a print book is in terms of. Well, that's not true. Durable is the wrong word. It's less, I don't know. It feels less useful. Yeah. Like you have a print book, you can lend it out. You can talk about it. You know, like when people come over to my house, we often talk about the books on my shelves or what we've been reading because that's what I do. And I'm a total nerd and completely insufferable. <laughs> but, you know, like it's much easier to have a paperback and be reminded of it and read it again later and, you know, lend it out and have multiple people in your house read it. Um, it just, it has sort of an innate, sense of uh, value that's very that's just not there with ebooks and it sounds like for younger readers still is there i guess that's one thing i've been curious about over time is that mm-hmm. as ebooks say you're born to a time when ebooks are already a thing so there's not like a romanticism or of a way things used to be that you have around print books that's just the way things are yeah well people still have that same sense that a print book is more valuable than an ebook and this study seems to suggest 
that maybe that still sticks around, that people still value the physical object more um, than just merely the digital one. And yeah, and that was so, so, this was surprising to me because I assumed that people who were 16 to 24 were, are like growing up after the romanticism. Yeah. Like that was the thing that I had assumed. I felt like I'm, I'll be 30 this year and I felt like I was, I'm on the tail end yeah, of that. Yeah, I like, would think so, right? Print books are superior just because of, you know, nostalgia. Because of, because of college and high school reasons. and being yeah. a kid and reading print books all the time, right? Yeah. And so I had always functioned under the assumption that people who were 10 years younger than me were over that. Mm-hmm. But I guess not so much. Not so much. Or at the very least, the price sensitivity hasn't gone away. Like maybe they're equally willing to read either if the price is right. Because the hardcore romanticism that I still see is the people that I'm never going to read digital books. I'm always going to buy print books. Yeah. Maybe that will lessen. Um, but the idea that a print book is still more valuable than an e-book seems to be... Um, a more enduring sort of, I don't know, point of view than maybe we would have thought before, which is interesting, super interesting. I'm going to be so interested in 10 years to see how these things shake out. I, I wish I could sort of, if I had my little um, time travel, my DeLorean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had, you know, a couple drips of Miller Lite and a banana peel, um, <laughs> I'd go 15 years. In, well, I do a lot of things. But one thing I would certainly come back and report back on how this all stuff shakes out in 15 years or so, um, for sure. All right, let's do our last sponsor. Halloween's coming up. About a month or so, leaves are turning. We're eating things with cinnamon, picking apples off trees, getting fake pumpkin flavors, and virtually everything we have. So it's time for some scary stories. So we've got a great sponsor this week for this. The book is called Into the Gray by Celine Kiernan, and it is a YA ghost story. So here's the deal. So uh, twin boys, um, Pat and Dom, They've got to move to their parent with their parents and their little sister to a seaside cottage they've been to. They're, they're, they've been summering in. Um, their nan burned the house down. Actually, a really great first line of the book. We were watching the telly the night nan burned down the house. So they go out to this cottage place in the winter time. Which, if you ever been to the seaside in the winter, it's kind of creepy. There's no one around. Uh, pretty desolate there on the beach. So they're out there and. There's another presence there, a ghost, uh, some kind of young boy who cries black tears, and he's afraid of somebody. And there's also, uh, you know, there's something else going on with one of the twins. So Dom has become, um, as Pat calls him, not Dom. And Pat can sense that something is going on with him and that he's going to die if something doesn't change. Their parents don't see what's going on. They're out there by themselves, people they don't around, know around. So he's got to figure out how to um, save his brother and draw clues from the ghost and what's going on in his own dreams and some things that have happened long ago in their family. And then there's some ghost that's going on next. Um, so there's really great pacing. It's complicated family relationships. Um, so it's that nice blend of kind of a what's going to happen, but you've got some history and memory things going on there. It's a psychological thriller that's haunting and fun um, and gripping. So that's uh, Into the Gray by Celine Kiernan. And uh, check that out. It's available now wherever books are sold. YA sounds pretty great. Thanks so much for Into the Gray by Celine Kiernan for sponsoring the show. All right. So let's talk about a couple new books real quick. Do you want to lead off or you want me to lead off? Sure. No, I'll go. Yeah, okay, go so it. this week, uh, Horror Store by Grady Hendrix comes out um, from Quark Books. 
And let's see. Oh, it's already out. It came out on it's Tuesday. Out. Tuesday. Yeah, we only talk out. about books that are out here because it ticks people off if they can't buy a book. Oh, Go sorry. for it. Well, you can buy this horror yes. store by Grady Hendrix. And I have I have read it, and it's a lot of fun. It's a horror novel that takes place in what it's functionally in IKEA, like a big box furniture store where all the products have strange European names that I can't pronounce. Um, and it's about a girl, one of the employees, who's very unhappy there. She comes to work one morning, and all of the furniture is destroyed. There are suspicious substances spread all over her surfaces. All the glass is broken. It's gross. And her boss kind of voluntells her that she's going to stay the night, overnight, and do a night shift with a few other employees to catch the vandals. But it mm. turns out that the vandals are not human. Oh, oh no. Yeah. And maybe horror, the, the store was built on some sort of bail ground or something like that. You don't uh, know. There's yes. mystery there. So it's mystery and it's a fun, it's like, it's like a campy B-rated horror story. Nice. You know? And the, the book itself looks like an, an Ikea, Ikea catalog. catalog. Yeah. It's great. The, and even on the inside, like when you're, when you're reading the book, the pages are laid out like a catalog. So, oh, they are? Yeah. I so on one the side, inside. there will be like. Like construction instructions for how to put together a piece of furniture, and then if you look at it more closely, you realize that the piece of furniture is like a torture device. Uh, it's cool. It's cool. It's clever. Yeah, the whole thing is it's like Kia sort of satire. Like every morning, employees arrive to find bloking, kajering bookshelves and satire glans, <laughs> water goblets, and yeah. smashed lip-rip wardrobes. <laughs> you know, it's like I think that's really that's really smart. Um, and funny. Um, the other book we're talking, I haven't read this, but a lot of people are talking about a big YA book by Scott Westerfeld, um, who is the author of Uglies. His book that came out this week that's available now is called Afterworlds. And it's, uh, I've heard a lot about this. I've been interested in this. I don't know if I'll read it necessarily, but I, I'm interested enough that I might, which for me in YA is saying something. <laughs> so the main character's name is Darcy Patel, and she has put college on ho- hold to publish her teen novel called Afterworlds. Goes to New York, no city, uh, no uh, no apartment, no con, uh, no friends. Trying to make it as a writer, um, she finishes her book, falls in love. But also in that story of Darcy Patel, who has written the book Afterworlds, you get pieces of her book Afterworlds in the book Afterworlds by Scott Westerfeld. Does that make sense? So no. like Darcy <laughs> is right has written this book called Afterworlds. Oh, okay. Yes. And it's in the book called Afterworlds. So it's her and her book are side by side in this story. And it's a suspense thriller about a teen who slips into the afterworld. Um, sort of a parallel dimension to survive a terrorist attack. It's like a p- place between the living and the dead. And the main character there is Lizzie. <laughs> who also falls in love. Lizzie and so Darcy. So Darcy and Lizzie have parallel stories and they're both falling in love. So there's like a Pride and Prejudice tasting note, like in a wine, like this is a little bit of Pride and Prejudice in it. Um, Shinsky and I talked about this when it first came out around BEA because we had seen some banners for it and like a couple of blurbs and we were super confused because we thought Lizzie and Darcy were romantic leads, but it wasn't had anything to do with Pride and Prejudice anyway. So that's, it's a, it's a book, it's a text within a text which mm-hmm. is something I'm always into. Um, but it's also a memoir, a YA suspense thriller within a memoir. I don't know. I might have to try that. I just want to see this particular kind of thing in action. And Westerfeld knows what he's doing. Um, some of the reviews I've seen suggest that like, it, it employs some of the tropes of YA, but also kind of plays with them as well. Um, so it sounds like a playful, interesting, fun read. Um, so that's those are the two. Let's see. Um, How to Build a Girl by Caitlin Moran is out this week. Yep. Um, 
so that's a, that's a novel that's getting some good buzz as well. Growing up in the 90s as a sort of punk rock, pissed off teenage girl. Is that something you know anything about, Amanda? Yeah, I have haven't you, read you? it. I've got it around here somewhere. No, no, I, I meant growing it. up in the 90s oh. as a pissed off uh, teenage punk rock girl. I might be familiar <laughs> with that particular <laughs> that particular uh, That particular thing. So those that's another book that a lot of people are talking about this week as well. And I guess that's our show. Yeah. An hour went by so fast. Woo! I'm doing I'm, jazz hands right I'm now. I muted most of my most horrible coughing and hacking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if some of those go through. I'll try to edit those out afterwards. If you want to follow Amanda on Twitter, I can. I can. What's your Twitter handle? I always mess it up. It's at I'm Amanda Nelson. I'm Amanda. So I am Amanda Nelson. Yep. Also, Amanda's doing a lot of awesome YouTube videos for us. You, you can do. go to our YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com/slash BookRiotVideo, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. Um, you can also find a link in the show notes here. Um, one. Uh, you know what? I don't. We came up with this idea sort of together, but the po- the series you're doing is it once a month? Ready, set, hold. Now I yes. can't remember. Once a month, she does a, a video where she gives you some books that are coming out in a few months, so that you can put them on hold at your library and be at the top of the queue. Yeah, winner, which, winner. That is what I like to call doing it right. <laughs> um, so a couple of the picks. There's a new Stephen King novel. That the the new video went up yesterday. The new Ready Set Hold or the day before uh, Tuesday. It, came, it went up Tuesday. So there's a new Stephen King book coming out in November. What were the other picks? Do you have a couple uh, yeah, other ones? Stephen King is revival. Uh, there's a new Anne Lamott uh, book. Coming oh out in right, November. yes, excellent. And Bill Nye has a book about evolution coming out uh, in November. That's bound to be very popular. Yeah. So if you're a library user, you might want to subscribe, especially just even for that alone. So you don't yeah. have to wait a million years. Be the first in your queue. And I didn't know this, but for a lot of libraries, if they haven't ordered the book already and you request it, they might order it and you'll be number one in the queue. Yeah, buddy. Um, Kelly Jensen, who works with us, she said that her old library, I think, did that, where if you if you um, requested a book they hadn't ordered it yet and then they ordered it, you would be first in line, which is pretty nice, I have to say. So check that out. You can find, um, you can if you want to, show notes for the show, bookriot.com slash podcast. Again, the new Reading Lives um Interview series is live now, bookwrite.com slash reading live. That's going to be a weekly podcast. Originally, it was going to be bi-weekly, but enough interest by guests and listeners that I'm going to go ahead and make it weekly. So you can find me over there as well. Um, show notes, you can go to bookwrite.com. Did I say show notes already? Oh, I meant email. You did. Yeah, that's stupid. Uh, cold. <laughs> uh, you can drop us a line, podcast at bookwrite.com. Let us know what's going on. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you're welcome to do that there. Other thing that's happening, be excited. I don't think we've announced it on the show, but our website, our sister website devoted to graphic novels and comic books called Panels, it's at panels.net is the web address, is launching October. First week in October. Rocktober. It's going to be up. It's going to be there. Um, there is a there's a Book Riot podcast version that's doing the same thing we do here, talk about what's new and cool, and we're talking about in the world of comics and graphic novels. Mm-hmm. It's called O Comics, and it's going to be um, hosted by our friends Paul Montgomery, who's the managing editor of Panels, and our friend Preeti, who's his co-host over there. Epis- episode zero is up right now. You can go subscribe to it. Um, the first new full-featured shows will be coming in the middle of October, but you might want to go ahead and get your RSS and subscriptions all revved up and raring to go over there. Did I miss anything? What else do we have to tell people about? That's No, I think that's it. You can find us every day on Twitter at Book Riot. And you can All find us at bookriot.com. We're right there. And uh, thanks so much, Amanda, for being on the show this week. Fun as always. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye.